0: It's Monday, July sixteenth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Options and the Great White North, Jim Gillies in the house. Ooh,
1: how you s- doing? Good to see you, Canada, Tim. baby.
0: As always, I'm thrilled that uh, our border patrol just completely lacks security, lack security, and let you into our country. Uh, we're going to talk about credit cards. We're going to talk about gold. We are going to start with smartphones. Nokia's Lumia 900 Windows phone hit the U.S. market in April with a price tag of $99. That's, of course, with a two-year agreement with AT&T. And now, just three months later, the price has been cut in half. So, Joe, if you're looking for a new phone, you can, you can now get a, a Lumia 900 for only $49. Sweet. I, this seems like one of those things that's good for consumers. I'm wondering, how good is this for Nokia?
1: I'd say it's... Good for consumers if you know the phone exists, and most of them don't, and you're probably not going to get it. Nokia rolled this out at a $99 price point, at least on the consumer end, which was really aggressive to begin with. So while it's not unusual, as Nokia pointed out, for companies to cut the price of a handset a few months after it comes out, cutting it to this level is pretty painful for a flagship phone that was kind of kind of their hail mary pass. Yeah. Well, the pass just, you know bounced out the end zone. And they're in a pretty tight spot, and I think you're going to see some really nasty earnings results. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Nokia's got earnings coming up later this week, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a tough time. The stock's down 64% since the launch of this phone, which just tells you how much hype was built into it and how low expectations are now.
0: Jim, what do you think? Because you, you live uh, not too far from the headquarters for Research in Motion. So you're certainly- uh, Another from, another smartphone company with some minor issues. With some minor issues. Uh, uh, of these two, do you think one is in worse shape than the other?
2: Um, predicting who's going to die first, I suppose. Uh, my my take would be as a, as a proud Canadian homer, and what, what, what do you call it, uh, would be Research in Motion is in marginally better shape um simply because they don't have debt Nokia has some debt Nokia has a, a dividend they're they're paying out about 2 billion a year uh for their dividend which would be unsurprising to me to see it cut in fairly short order uh and so you know i mean just from that standpoint alone you know they're they're probably not going to die but you're really asking me be- between you know this guy's on life support and this guy's just on a little bit more life support <laughs> well um joe
0: at least we've seen in the market today, shares of Nokia up slightly. This this seems well, like two pennies, right? <laughs> literally two pennies. Dollar eighty six. I did say slightly, um, uh, but I'm going two places with this. One is this seems like the kind of news that if it was it was going to be the final nail in the coffin. This seems like the kind of news that investors on Wall Street would react in a big way to. They're clearly not, at least in a not not in a big negative way. Um, but what about you know sort of the the ongoing partnership with Windows and yeah the fact that the stock is trading at two dollars you know less than two dollars a share uh, I mean is this does this interest you at all as a value guy is this no, a value play no no
1: absolutely not they do have a pretty good slug of, jet, of debt as Jim said about six billion no signs of a turnaround um, you know no one they once they gave up on their own operating system. I'll give them credit that was a really bold move and they needed to make a change, but now they're working off someone else's system. They're not differentiated. no one wants the phones because they have no cachet there's no interest around the operating system uh, Windows seven that they partnered with and Microsoft is actively shopping around for other partners you know it's not exclusive with Nokia. I mean, there's no real fix here, and at least with research and motion you've got you know, a solid balance sheet and a lot of patents and, you know, maybe the reason it looks more attractive is it's bottomed first. But at this point, it's hard to picture that stock going a heck of a lot lower just because there are real assets backstopping the valuation and Nokia is not in that position.
2: Jim? Yeah, just one addendum to that is with Nokia, just on a 12-trailing 12, 12 month basis, I have no idea what they're going to do this week, obviously. But, uh, I mean, their, their cash generation, the free cash generation has essentially gone to zero. And so again, they've got. Uh, I think they got about six billion in net cash, about twelve, thirteen cash, and six billion in debt. But I mean, you know, they're spending two billion on this dividend. They're not. They've gone cash flow neutral, at least at best. Rim is still generating some amount of cash, although that's come back to me in a quarter or two, and we'll see where they are. Uh, so I mean, it's it, it it's put up time for for Nokia, and, and you start to wonder with both these companies, you know, who's going to get bought for for scrap metal first, right? We talked last week about uh, Super Value
0: cutting their dividend. Is that? I mean, if you're a Nokia shareholder, uh, first of all, you have our condolences. But second of all, is that something that uh, we should be
1: keeping an eye out for? That
0: you know, maybe the next thing for them is is cutting that dividend.
1: The dividend is toast, and if you're owning it for the dividend, you should rethink.
2: Yeah, I think the dividend yield right now is about ten percent. Which, if that's not screaming at you, this is going to get cut at least in half, and probably more than that i mean you're not paying attention and no complaining when it happens <laughs> we'll keep our eyes on that later in the week hundreds of merchants
0: have reached a 7 and a quarter billion dollar settlement with visa and mastercard in antitrust lawsuits over credit card processing fees uh, it still needs to be approved by a judge but guys if approved this would be the largest antitrust settlement uh, in us history uh, jim we always say the market hates uncertainty, and shares of Visa and Mastercard both up more than a couple of pennies this morning, running ahead of the market. Uh, it seems like a good sign for both of them.
2: It does. It would suggest a little bit that uh, perhaps uh, the market was expecting a greater hit. I mean, you, you hate to say seven and a quarter billion dollars was was smaller than expected. Um, it's probably about five percent, roughly, of the combined market cap of these two companies. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, there would have been valuation or there would have been estimates built into models put put forth by you know the the Wall Street analysts and what have you, and this obviously came in a little lighter. And I just struggle to see what benefit it's going to be for you know. I mean, we're we're individual retail customers, but even where this was going on, you know, and, and what's going to happen to customers, we'll probably not really notice anything.
0: To what extent do you guys factor? antitrust lawsuits into your thinking when you're looking at a company? What I mean, just removing it from these two companies. But you know, when you're looking at a company, Joe, what goes through your head when you see any kind of um, legal uncertainty? Let's put it that way.
1: It depends. Sometimes it could be attractive. So with Visa about a year ago, I recommended the stock at inside value because I thought that the market was putting way too much stock in potential changes with interchange fees and how that would impact their business, and it turned out to be right. On the other hand, I um, stepped in things before where I misread the direction the government was going in, so the AT&T acquisition of uh, T-Mobile USA's Mm -hmm. assets. uh, That would be a pretty pretty good example, and it's tough to predict where the government's going to go a lot of the time. But the nice thing is when you're fishing in those waters, you do see a lot of people just kind of step away automatically because they don't want to deal with the uncertainty. And, if, you know, if you have a variant perception you think through it in a unique way, sometimes you can get some really good deals there. And, you know, important thing to remember is companies wouldn't be investigated for antitrust concerns unless they're doing something really well. So <laughs> that's a way to think about it, too, is that something is going extremely well here. And if they're able to, you know, work their way through it, it could be a nice long term. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you're losing money on some venture, that's probably not going to raise red flags. All things equal, I'd rather have a discussion about my company getting sued on antitrust concerns than being sued for, you know, disappointing investors and mm-hmm. talking about it in a... Fraudulent over- accounting. You're, mm-hmm. Right, right. Jim, uh, what about you? How do you factor uh, this
0: into your thinking?
2: Yeah, it, it again, like Joe says, it depends and you want to uh, you want to kind of take a broader view of what the issue is and what some of the other players in the industry, for example, who are getting investigated, if, if they've uh, had any adverse outcomes or if anyone's kind of taken a plea or what have you. Uh, one that comes to mind is a company called Autolive, which uh, they are- Autolive? The Autolive. They're in the uh, automotive uh, parts side. Basically, they make, oddly enough, uh, seatbelts and airbags, so Autolive. There you go. And um, they were under investigation, or they still are, I suppose, in Europe, uh, for antitrust and uh, they were looking at some ca- competitors where uh, essentially um, they kind of scaled up from what a Japanese competitor had had pled out to essentially, and it could have been as high as a seven hundred million dollar settlement. So in my model, I said, well, let's assume they get hit seven hundred million cash you have to pay, and so whatever the value of the company was, take seven hundred million dollars off of it and go from there. And then you know at least you're trying to build in some sort of conservative model. And of course, and what ended up happening is Autolive's, um signed a de- or took a deal with uh, DOJ or what have you, pled guilty, but the, fi- the fine was $14 million. And so, Wow. Yeah, when that happens, it's kind of like, well, okay, then my valuation estimate for the company can go up, and the stock at least on that day had gone up, and that, that's probably a little bit what's gone on with Visa and MasterCard.
0: All of a sudden they found $686 million to play with. Uh, yeah,
2: you know, it was, uh, well, what ended up happening, I mentioned that the competitor who had been the issue there, was Japanese, a Japanese manufacturer, and, and what ended up happening, the Autolift stuff, was actually limited just to their Japanese subsidiary, so it was very it was very contained, and they're a worldwide company, so it uh, it was a blip.
0: Bump in the road, you uh, guys remember last year when investors were basically selling their firstborn child for gold
1: i don 't remember that uh,
0: yeah, that, 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 did that ever come up? Were people into gold uh, pe- gold people oh. were big into gold for a little <laughs> while, and uh, the bad news is that uh, gold prices have come down uh, last Thursday, gold prices had a negative twelve month return for the first time in three years. Joe, you're. Uh, you, I, for one, am shocked. I was going to say you you are a little <laughs> bit famous on the YouTube's yeah. uh, for an interview you gave several years ago. Uh, you were bearish, I think it's fair to say, on gold. And uh, every once in a while, just to make myself smile, I'll find that YouTube clip just so I can read the comments um, uh, that, that some of the gold bugs have made. Some of t- them are harsh. Taking you. Some to of task. them were gross. Um, but I mean, what? bringing it back to investors, what you know, uh, negative 12-month return, um, that can't be good for people who are investing in gold.
1: No. So many things to say about gold. But just looking back a year ago, when everyone is talking about how something is a screaming buy, that's usually a sign that it's not a good buy. And you don't need a spreadsheet to tell you that when you're seeing signs on the side of the road, you know, like advertising, buying your gold jewelry and melting it down and seeing commercials on late nights, things like that just start to add up. And just, you know, use your brain to kind of pick up on these everyday signs to tell you that things can get a little bubblicious. And I think that's exactly what's happened with gold, which is something that is, I'd say, next to impossible to value.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the conventional wisdom, is, one of the conventional wisdoms about gold is that it's this hedge, this great hedge against economic uncertainty. And Jim, you could, argue, you could make the argument globally, we have slightly more economic uncertainty now Mm -hmm. than we did a year ago. Europe is, I I would argue, in, if not the same place- I thought it was fixed. Yeah. (laughs) Worse off, we see China's economy slowing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Banks
1: are all selling for less than tangible book. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And and here in the US, certainly over the last few months, uh, the, the job market is sluggish um, uh, so you know w- why are we seeing this over the past year if if it's if it's you know if it's this great hedge against economic uncertainty i,
2: I think a lot of that has to do with what joe has just said you know that and that valuations matter and where you start matters and so if you're paying sixteen, seventeen, seventeen hundred 1700 bucks uh, an ounce and you know there's ads there's ads on the side of the road and pop-up ads in every website and everyone's saying gold 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 i mean i my my stat for for saying that gold, I was I was uh, less offensive on YouTube than Joe was, shall we say? Uh, but um, you know, my stat for about a year ago, I gave a talk at a financial planners uh, group in Canada, and my take on it was, at just that previous week, or, or it was about I think it was August last year, that GLD or, or the gold ETF had become the world's largest um, ETF by assets invested. Ahead of the S&P 500, ahead of like, you know, the broad, you know, strength of the U.S. economy, people were chasing gold and gold futures. And I was like, you know, that might not be the best thing. You know, on one hand, you've got the productive might of of the largest economy in the world. And on the other hand, you have, you know, people's opinion on a gold medal. So...
0: Um, and it's not just the ETFs.
2: It's not just
0: you know the commodity. There are plenty of stocks: um, Goldcorp, Barrick Gold, Nova Gold Resources, Rubicon Minerals. Those four stocks, you know, very much dependent on gold, and not surprisingly, all four are losing to the market over the last year. To what extent, if any, should gold or minerals, for that matter, if you want to broaden it? Play, what role should that play uh, in an investor's portfolio for someone who's like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm still a little bit interested?
1: What would you tell them? People people are either down with gold or they're not. I'm in the not camp. I would, I would <laughs> put that at zero. I would much rather own shares of businesses that produce cash that can reinvest in the business. And when they can't do that, they spin it back out to me as dividends so that I can put in more cash-producing assets rather than a shiny object that I can't value and I'm just banking on other people foolishly thinking it's worth more than I think it is today.
2: Jim? I'm not sure I can add much to that. I mean that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. I, I, I like to stay away from investment situations where the, the arguably the single greatest driver is other people's opinions of what something's worth. I just, I just want to stay away from that. So you can call that gold, silver, any commodity you want. I think yeah.
0: that's that's a perfect way for us to wrap up this conversation on gold, is to stick with things that are basically based on what other people think their work. So, other than stocks, in terms of non-stock investments, you can go, obviously, you're not going to go gold, but you could go art, you could go wine, housing. What What is your favorite non-stock investment, Joe? Other than port,
1: I would say <laughs> Not just would, wine writ large, port. I love port. Other than port, I'd say single-family homes in the U.S. look really attractive to me right now. If you're able to lock in, you know, these record-low thirty-year rates, I mean, if someone's willing to lend money to me at a pretty, you know, at a rate of like three and a half percent for thirty years, I, I think you're a fool for one, lowercase f, but two, you know, I'll happily take that because I think I can earn a lot higher than that elsewhere and. You know, if you're buying a home that you're planning on being in for a decade, 20 years, the math works pretty well on that.
2: Jim, what about you? Well, I've been recently looking for anyone who will uh, sell me credit default swaps on uh, the Toronto <laughs> condo market, because that's kind of the opposite of single-family dwellings in the U.S. right about now. Um, that's a
0: pretty esoteric investment. Are you fi- uh, having any luck with no,
2: that? No, no one will. I, I've found no biters yet. Uh I don't know. I mean, I I, uh, I play on the options of the stock pool. I'm going to go with uh, vintage Star Wars figures, still in their case. Wow. You're one of those guys. I'm one of those guys.
1: We should talk. <laughs> I've got some assets you might be interested in. We'll wrap up
0: so I can let you two discuss uh, that investment. Joe Mager, Jim Gillies. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.